Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. I'm co-founder of the online magazine, The Refined Woman, and my vision is to create a safe space where we can take off that Superman cape of having it all together and share our stories authentically and honestly. I really believe people are dying for the permission to be vulnerable, to just go there. But it takes someone being willing to go there first. It's my desire to do just that and invite you and others to do the same by removing that shiny mask of perfection and courageously sharing the imperfect journeys of life, spirituality, love, business, and everything in between. Welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. This week, I'm talking with Radha Agrawal. Radha is one of those rare, special people who is such an influence to masses, thousands and thousands of men and women throughout this world. And I'm so honored to get to talk with her today. So a little bit about who Radha is. Radha is co-founder, CEO, and chief community architect of Daybreaker. If you don't know what Daybreaker is, look it up online. It's an incredible movement dance party in the morning that you have to check out. She is a highly recognized entrepreneur, co-founder of Thinks and Live It Up, speaker, inventor, and investor. Rada most recently launched the Belong Center, a comprehensive community architecture and experience design lab for individuals. This is part of her resume and I could read you so much more, but I want you to know her heart. This woman is vulnerable. She's raw. She's authentic. And she just launched a brand new book called Belong. Find your people, create community and live a more connected life. So let's just dive into this conversation with Radha. So I was reading your Instagram recently, Rada, and you have a post where you kind of unpack where you've been over the last year and, and longer than that too as well. And it starts off saying, you say there's nothing more important than love. And you're writing this post. It sounds like in your Uber. Oh, yeah. um, and you're kind of unpacking like this journey you've been on over the last few years. And you even talk about how you were 36 before you met your love and that was so worth the wait. And you've, you've gone through a lot this year. So I, I kind of wanted to start opening that up to you and just having you unpack where you've been over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, so we know that that particular post that you're talking about happened sort of right after my fiance and I started trying to have kids and, um, you know, being a, an entrepreneurial woman, I, for a long time, throughout my thirties, I was asking myself, like, do I want kids? Do I really want to go this route? Like, what does it mean to be a mom? And all the, and, you know, my, my fiance is 13 years younger than me too. He's in his twenties. Um, I'm in my late thirties. And, um, so yes, I had a lot of dissonance around having children. And then, you know, when, when I met him and I met, you know, when you meet the person that you're, you know, you want to be with, um, age obviously doesn't matter. But I realized like, wow, okay, this is this is someone with whom I want to create life with. And so we, we started trying this past March. And, uh, you know, it was like an incredibly soulful, beautiful, spiritual experience. Um, and then I got pregnant right away, which was which was such a blessing. And then and then I had a miscarriage as well right away. And um, so, you know, you go from this anticipatory experience of just like mm. excitement, the waiting, the, you know, I'm in, you know, I'm I'm thirty-nine. So it was just like, okay, you know, and then having the miscarriage, of course, you're just kind of asking yourself, oh God, is it too late? You know, mm. there's just so much kind of self, I guess, awareness that you just dive into that becomes um, really amplified. And then I actually found out that the average age of, of, a, of a woman um, in New York that who you know, getting pregnant is actually 39, which is wild. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I, did, I did not know that. That was actually comforting to hear. You know, it was really big mind to, um, to have to, cause I, the first time around I called, I think like a hundred friends immediately <laughs> to be like, mm. I'm pregnant, you know? And then a few weeks later to have to call him and say, uh, just kidding. And that was also just hard, you know, even harder yeah. to share that news. But then, um, you know, a month and a half later we got pregnant again and now I'm, I'm seven months 
pregnant with our first baby girl, mm. Soleil, and oh my gosh, it's been such a journey. And in that time, you know, they 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 thought there was a cyst in her brain, um, and so I had to go through the MRI scans and like. You know, the birthing process is just such a miracle. Each and every one of us, you know, listening to this podcast who's walking the streets of the world is a deep, wonderful miracle. And mm. I have such a, a deeper appreciation for what it means to be human and what it means to have to sort of to come out of a mother's womb. It's just it's just mm. such an incredible journey. So yeah, so so now and then I found out, you know, um after the scare of, of her having cysts in her brain that um I got an MRI scan and, and then, you know, 10 days. And in those 10 days, I sat in this sort of meditative experience of just like, oh my God, am I going to have to abort? Like what, you know, what, it was just like, I was just like, why me? You know, why does this keep happening to me? You know, mm. I thought I'm a good Samaritan. Um, so <laughs> like, you know, I've never cried deeper tears in my life. Just like, you know, tears of conviction, I, honestly, it was tears of sadness, but also tears of just like devotion and then a week and a half later, I had a, an MRI scan and, and the baby came back, you know, I'm healthy, fully healthy. So, oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, so it is, it is such a meandering journey. I, and I just, I like look at every mother now with such a, a kind of new lens of respect mm. and, and just, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's in the most unbelievable thing in the world, um, to, to birth somebody. And, and I've never felt more connected. Like you, the, the mm. sense of, I wrote a book called belong, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, as well, this past year it came out a month a month ago, and um, and I've never set, felt a deeper sense of belonging, sort of another being than than mm-hmm. I do with having some some you know a being growing inside of me. So yeah, it's 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 been a, a wild year. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if one of those things were to have happened to you, it would have been a transition and a big deal. You you know, you're seven months pregnant now, you just launched a book, which is, I don't think a lot of people know this, but that, I don't know how long your process was, but from start to finish, it's usually a two to three year process. And you are really are birthing something. Um, absolutely. Birthing babies. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Creating babies, creating books, creating (laughs) movements. (laughs) Um, I, I think of when you were talking, um, I had a girl on the podcast a few weeks ago, Rebecca Lyons, and she says, our pain becomes our purpose. And she says, we're destined, we're called to be these carriers of peace. And then we experience pain and our stories become like our greatest, encouragement to others. And I was so encouraged. I'm single. I've never had a child. I'm one of six children. But when I read that you were honest about your miscarriage, it blessed me so much because I just felt like so many women are going to feel so less alone when they read that, because we all want to show the shiny moments on social media. We want to show like life is sexy. Look how many accolades I have. Look how much I'm killing it this year. Um, I know your movement with Daybreaker has almost half a million people that are like following along with what you're up to. You guys are in almost 25 cities, yet you chose to be vulnerable and not just, I think it can be easy to talk about the concept of vulnerability, but to live it as a leader takes so much courage and I see that kind of marked through no matter what you're doing, you're taking that first step, which then someone else is going to see, even I, who I am not a mom, I can see, whoa, I can be messy and I can come undone and I can be honest about it. And I mean, this goes so much into the, into your book, which I really want to talk about, like this sense of belonging. It seems like one of the first things we got to do is kind of like take off that Superman, Superwoman cape and say like, I am grieving right now, or I'm struggling. Like, that's what we as humans can connect with, right? Like it's so true. It really is. I, I mean, it just and sharing the, the number. I probably got hundreds of messages from women who've dealt with miscarriage alone, um, who have who have felt shamed in in their silence, mm. uh, who have felt also lonely in the first trimester of not sharing, 
And, you know, there's, it's only a nine month experience birthing. And yet the first three months, we're not supposed to tell anybody, you know, yeah, it's like the greatest secret you can't tell anyone yeah. about. Like, and why, who's created that secret? What's mm-hmm. so that no one in your community gets uncomfortable. If, if you have a miscarriage and why do we call it miscarriage? Why can't we call it return to the stars? There's nothing wrong, you know, with, with us, we just, our bodies weren't ready or the spirit baby mm-hmm. wasn't ready to be in us. And so yet we call it this sort of negative name like a miscarriage you know like mm. let's redefine all of these things and stop giving them negative names that yeah. name to each of us you know oh that's so good i love that like a return to the stars i think that's so beautiful yeah. and the first line in part one of your book is we are born in community fully connected to another human without connection we can't survive it's in our dna to belong and do you feel that in a different way now that you actually have a human being inside of you? Oh God, I mean, like it to a, it's like, it's, it is, yes, <laughs> it is, <laughs> it is such a, um, it is just, yes, it's like we are, you know, we are born, you know, when I think of our journey from the womb, from this little embryo to get outside that nine month journey in and of itself is this like, incredible path. And then to grow up and to have, you know, the experience of leaving the mother's womb, right. You go from a sense of deep, deep belonging to a sense of separation, right. The, from the moment you're born, right. The moment you leave her womb, you're separated. So you have to now come to terms with this fact that you're no longer deeply connected. So it's, you know, and yet it is our destiny. It is in our DNA. We have without belonging, we can't survive as a, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's so interesting. Um, what uh, the the Hebrew creation account in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Torah says, like with the creation of humanity, God says, "Let us make man and woman in our image and our likeness," and then like God like breathes the breath of humanity. And I always think about that. It says like, God says, let us. So like God is already in this community. And if we are like made like God, then pulsing through our veins is what you're saying. Like this, like this inherent, and you, you talk about like Maslow hierarchy of needs and this like deep sense of belonging. Like it actually is pulsing through our veins. And it's like, ever since we're born, we're trying to get back to this place of belonging. Exactly. Like, what do you think of that? You know, we are living in a time of crisis right now, right? Mm. We are more isolated and alone than we've ever been. Like we are, our number one epidemic in this country is our loneliness and our isolation. And what happens when we're lonely and isolated is it ladders down to all of our problems that we're experiencing right now. It's, you know, it's gun violence, it's the obesity epidemic, it's it's our political polarization. It's anxiety and depression. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it just, there's so many, you know, sort of, um, uh, kind of all of our, all of our, our presidency, you know, all of mm-hmm. our, um, sort of darkest moments as a human beings comes from our lack of belonging mm-hmm. and it pushes us to pursue money, power, and fame. It pushes us to, um, you know, all the things I just said, and it becomes clear that the single most important thing we can do as human beings is to create community for ourselves and for others. It is the most yeah. generous act we can do is mm. start a little community, start a little organization. You starting this podcast to reach out to other women who are struggling or who, you know, want a comforting ear to listen to, like that is such a generous act. And mm. each and every one of us have that generosity of spirit. We just have to have the courage to to start. And and that's I think 90% of the battle right now is that we're so sensitive to rejection and because mm-hmm. social media makes rejection or fear of missing out or what I call uh, faux blow, fear of being left out. Mm-hmm. So prevalent, you know, wait, my friends got together, I wasn't invited, what I was totally left out. It makes it harder to reach out to our friends for fear mm-hmm. of rejection and that just takes, you know, I just text my friends on weekends and some days I'll, I'll, I'll feel more self-conscious than others. And I'll say, Oh, do I really want to text people and then have them not be able to hang out or, mm. you know, what, whatever, like I'll just text 10 people, maybe two can hang out. And, and no matter what, um, I, I always have somebody to hang out with. And if I don't, okay, at least I tried and I'm proud of myself that I did, you know? So I think yeah. 
that's that's the hardest part of belonging is to actually be the first person on the dance floor dancing. Right. And I literally like Rada, I have my journal open right now from this morning. I wrote, I think it's rejection that keeps me small. Fear of rejection. What is it about rejection that keeps me small? Well, I don't even read my whole book, but there's um women are inherently I can tell you if it's just a big, beautiful heart and you know women who are big hearted and, 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 and just empathetic and want Mm -hmm. to support others. You know, we are the ones who live in the most fear because, Mm -hmm. and I I talk about this, I I, I say in my book, like empathy and fear can often be best friends. Mm -hmm. The more you empathize with others, the more you care about their feelings, the more you don't want to step on anyone's toes, the more you you don't want to you know, sort of put somebody out and, you know, in case they have to say they can't hang out or whatever, if you're, you know, the more fearful we are, the, but, but, you know, our big hearts stop us from pursuing our dreams. Our big mm-hmm. hearts stop us from calling up people for fear of rejection. Our big hearts don't want to put anybody out, you know? So mm-hmm. the real key is how can we stay empathetic but then learn to be fearless? And that's mm-hmm. really been my, one of my biggest lessons in life is, it's to continue being a, an empathetic leader, you know, in my a daybreaker in my office or, or in, you know my community, um, mm. but also also be fearless in that leadership. And I think it's scary to lead because because of all the takedown stories that we see, and I've seen them yeah. close and personally as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, leadership is leadership can just be as simple as texting someone and saying, "Hey, do you want to hang out?" And having that confidence to do that. And, mm-hmm. and that's it. I mean, it's that simple. Like, for example, like I started this women's group called Modern Mamas about three months ago because mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing in, in the mom journey. <laughs> and so I said, all right. So um, I invited, you know, 10, 15 women to this WhatsApp group. And I just said, hey, ladies, like you are modern mamas. I would love to sort of skill share and resource share and, and share what I'm going through. I feel really lonely right now. Mm. My relationship of, with my love of my life that I feel lonely in it because he can't understand what I'm going through. My bodily changes. He's trying to support me the best he can, but he doesn't know, you know what I need right now. Bless him. Mm. And I got like literally 15 responses within five minutes of women. Being like, I felt the same way. Here's what I did. Here's what, and all of a sudden this emotional sort of connection and, and sharing and happened and it saved my life. You know, it supported my relationship and, and, and all the women who were on there were, they were like, Oh my God, I wish I'd started this when my kid, when I was you know mm. lonely and, and feeling postpartum depression and anxious and, and they and I said, well, why didn't you? And they were like, well, I didn't know if anyone would join, or I didn't know I was too busy, or I didn't prioritize it, or or or. And that's the thing about community; it is the single most important thing to prioritize. Harvard came out with a study that shares that this after seventy five years study that shares that the single most important thing we can do as human beings is to um, is to create community. Is to deepen meaningful relationships. Mm. That's the most important thing. So um, like it's time to put our laptops down, our phones away. You know, it takes 80 hours to call somebody a friend. 80 wow. hours. You know, it's not a like, a hit quick like of, of Instagram or whatever. It takes an investment of time to call somebody a friend. So, um, you know, I always say like in my book, it's like you want at least, you know, three to five people in your inner core community. Um who you, with whom you can confide in community is more than two people. It can't just be your spouse or your lover. It can't just be your sister or mother. It has to be, um, at least three people with whom you can confide, confide in. I think that's such a good point because I don't, I can't speak to the male experience, but I think for so many women, myself included for a long time, the answer felt like I need to find my person, my partner, my husband. And I put all this pressure on one human being to fulfill all the needs. And thank God I didn't meet anyone during that time because I feel like that, what a crushing weight to put on one person. But the idea that 
what you just said, even like we need more than one person. It needs to be more than one. Like one person wasn't designed to bear all the weight. Um, but we do need someone or people outside of ourselves to be a part of our human experience. Um, I just think it can be so easy to put all that pressure on the one. And then you're like, why is my relationship crumbling? (laughs) Exactly. Like we expect our lover to be our best friend, our confidant, our workout buddy, our adventure buddy, our sensitive sort of emotional sharing buddy, our, you know, it's like, we expect them to be everything and, and, and we're setting them up to fail. And, mm-hmm. you know, that I think is the biggest lesson I learned being with my now fiance and baby daddy <laughs> was mm-hmm. you know, he, like, I have other friends with whom I can satiate parts of me that he can't satiate, you know, mm-hmm. and instead of resenting him for it, I love him f- deeper for all the things he does give me, you know, and I've stopped, I think also as entrepreneurs, certainly in my world, we're trained and, and as human beings, as just employees of companies, like as just human beings, we're trained to nitpick what's going wrong, right? We're mm-hmm. trained to be like, how do I make improvements as a CEO of a company? How do I continue improving, improving, improving? And I need to be focusing on the negative in order to, I say negative, but in f- focusing on what needs to be improved Right. in order to make our product or service better. And yet we take those that type of behavioral pattern into our relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And so right. now we start criticizing and, and sort of nitpicking and, and, and sort of picking apart our partner's shortcomings instead of being deeply grateful for all things that are going right and what and how wonderful, you know, sort of wonderfully they contribute to your life. Mm. Um, and so when I just had that mindset shift and, and reset and reframed, um, a relationship from having to be perfect or having to constantly be improving and settle into the present moment of, you know, again, you can't be with somebody who's, who it's hard to be with somebody who's, who constantly sort of, um, is, is a work in progress. You want to meet somebody where they are, you know, right. so meeting him where he was and loving him for where he was today in this moment, knowing that we would evolve together was the greatest blessing. And I just, I've never felt more in love because I, I really deeply focus on, on what he brings to my life, not what he, mm-hmm. not what he can't, you know? Oh, that's such a, that's such a good point. I, I know we chatted about how Carmina is one of our mutual friends, but she challenges me constantly. She says, how good can you stand it? Because so much of my internal narrative has been, well, if someone doesn't give me like critical feedback, like when I speak, I want someone to tell me how many times did I say like, or what could I have done to improve it? And she's like, can you just receive it being great sometimes? And that has felt like such a mind shift for me because somehow growing up, I think it probably came from my background as being an athlete, like growth didn't feel like growth if there wasn't like something hard about it, or if there wasn't something that like really needed tweaking and not to say like, like we're always, we always have opportunities to grow. We're ever changing, ever evolving, but like, can we just be what you're like, can we just be grateful like for the beauty um, as opposed to like just walking into a room and seeing like, Oh, well this room would be better if like, this was different. This was different. This was different. As opposed to, wow, like I love those curtains. Those are so pretty. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 you know, I I definitely find myself, you know, as an experienced designer and, you know, sort of um, walking into spaces and experiences with that more kind of creative and, and, and I say critical eye. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that's, and that's where I also want to um, shift my focus to one where, Hey Rada, like I'm not throwing the event right now. Just go mm-hmm. as a go. Just go as a community member showing up and be grateful that somebody is putting on an event at all. You know? Right. And so that's really where we have to stop. There's so many backseat drivers in the event world of just like mm-hmm. this is not cool and this sucks and this sucks. But it's like, well, why don't you try putting something together? <laughs> totally. So totally. That goes into finding a venue, finding a DJ, getting the lighting, getting the decor, finding food and beverage partners, getting, you know, all the staffing and the, and the, you know, the performers and the artists. And there's so much that goes into, you know, event design and creation. Um, and it's easy to pick apart um, and not be grateful for it. But if we move through life through the lens of gratitude, mm-hmm. I'm just like, thank you somebody for creating an offline experience. Um, I think the world will be a lot better. 
you for giving your time, your heart, your energy to the Refined Collective podcast. I consider you a part of this tribe. You are a part of this community and it wouldn't exist without you. So I want you to know that I'm grateful. I'm grateful for your presence. I'm grateful for every single DM you send me on Instagram, every screenshot that you put on sharing that you are listening to an episode. It means so much to not only me, my team, but also the guests. So if you are loving the Refined Collective podcast, I would love to invite you to go on your podcast app or go onto iTunes and subscribe to the Refined Collective podcast. That way it can come straight into your phone, into your computer when a new episode comes. And if you would leave us a rating and a review, that would be so helpful for us. I want to read you one that we just got from Anna last week. She says, I'm loving your podcast. I love the vulnerable voices and journeys you're sharing with us. I just finished listening to Free Fall episode and it was so powerful. I couldn't stop taking notes and we'll be listening to it over and over again. Now I share this with you not to just puff up myself. That is not why I want you to leave a review. I want you to rate and leave a review so you can be a part of this community and you can know that you are part of a shared experience with thousands of other people every week. So my invitation, subscribe, rate, review the Refined Collective Podcast. Thank you for being here. This episode of the Refined Collective Podcast is brought to you by my very own resource guide called Moving Through Fear. I created this resource guide based off my own journey and process of moving through my own insecurities, fear narratives, and limiting beliefs. And let me tell you guys, if you're looking for a 10-step guide to freedom, you're in the wrong place because I'm no expert. I am on the journey with you, offering you tools graciously given to me over the years. So my prayer is that through this guide, you will know, believe, and experience that truth defeats fear and lies, that you are worth fighting for and you are not alone. So grab my free guide, Moving Through Fear, on the website, therefinedwoman.com slash freebie. That's F-R-E-E-B-I-E. And remember, I am on the journey with you. It's such a good reminder for me to hear even right now. Like I, I can just, it's just so easy for me to walk into a space and be like, how could it be better? Or I would have said it like this. And I just think of that. I think it's at the beginning of one of Brene Brown's books where she talks about, I'm going to butcher this quote, but she's like, don't like, you can only give feedback if you're in the ring, like bloody and bruised and like, don't be like, you know, give me feedback. But if you're a spectator just watching, being critical, like I don't have time for that. Um, it's just easier to be on the outside and um, just like look at what's wrong instead of like getting getting dirty, getting messy and throwing yourself in. Exactly. Um, exactly. So Rada, I want to know from you, like this whole book, first of all, Belong is beautiful. Like the design is gorgeous. Like I'm just like drawn in from page one. I, I, you share your, this moment of awakening that you had. And even just back to early where I said, like your pain becomes your purpose, like belonging matters to you like a lot. What was that awakening moment for you? You know, I, for me, it was, you know, I, I just turned 30 and I looked myself in the mirror and this is the beginning of my book, I, you know, and I, I looked myself in the mirror and I realized I didn't belong. And, you know, I think we go through these inflection points in our lives where, you know, when you're growing up, you're like, you're like, oh, wow, this is what belonging feels like. I have this one beautiful friend or I have a group mm-hmm. of friends who are amazing and make me feel this, this sort of exhale of I'm home. And then there's moments in life where you don't. And um, I, and I always say we go through about 10 inflection points in our lives where we, we're starting over or we feel like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm evolving as a person and I don't feel connected to my community anymore. Mm-hmm. So for me in my 20s, I spent all of my 20s in sports bars, drinking beer, watching sports I didn't want to watch and um, hanging out with people who didn't inspire me and, and who were just catty all the time. And I just, you know, it just was sort of an immature experience. And and I woke up at 30 and I looked myself in the mirror. I was like, wow, my eyes, my light is dim. Like my, mm-hmm. you know, I just didn't look happy. And I realized, wow, this is an inflection point that I'm having right now of just like, 
and, and, you know, again, that realization is, I think, what we all need to, that awareness, right, of like, are we sleepwalking through life right now? Are we just accepting that this is my life? And so much of depression and anxiety comes from this feeling of finality, like this is my life. Whereas, you know, one of my dear friends, and I read this in my book, is, you know, is curiosity of what else is out there, curiosity of the stunning opportunity that is this beautiful life that we get to live, has saved him from deep depression and has saved so many people from, from that feeling as well of just like getting curious, like what is beyond this kind of rut that I'm in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what happened to me. I felt like I was in this rut. I felt like I was, you know, sort of not living out my full potential, um, not, not living out loud and as, as much as I, I wanted to, um, and taking a giant bite out of this life. And so that was the moment that I wanted to start over. And I just was like, okay, um, I'm gonna have to break up with some friends here. I'm going to have to really take, um, take some time to get to know who I am. So for the first half of the book, like belonging actually starts with yourself. You have mm-hmm. to know who you are first and really get cozy and gooey with yourself, right? Before you go out to make friends, I think so often because, you know, we're animals and we're such inherently social creatures, the moment, you know, we're born in community, fully connected to other persons in our DNA to belong, right? Like I wrote in my first quote my, in my book, you know, we, we seek before we ask ourselves what we're seeking for, right? Mm-hmm. So step one, and I, and I take you through like 10 exercises in the first half of my book, it's just like, where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? Who kept you safe? Like, let's draw out a timeline of your life. Like, let's get to know, let's get, you know, let's get to know when you were you happiest and when were you feeling the most safe and fist pumping to life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then we go into sort of, all right, well, let's start writing down, like, what are the qualities that you value? Like, what are the things that you're interested in? Like, who are you today? Cause like, who are you to, you are today is going to be different than who you were five years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, we're constantly mm-hmm. evolving. So writing down, taking the time to get intentional with, with who you are and what you want out of this life, um, what you value, what you're, what you're good at even. Like, I'm good at taking mm-hmm. out the trash. I'm good at gathering people at my house. I'm good at cooking. I'm good at, you know, I'm, what, like, what are all the things that you're good at that you can write down? It could be as simple as, as that, as taking out the trash. And, mm-hmm. um, and what can you bring to a community? I think so often we're so ready to take, like, what is this world going to give to me? And if it doesn't give to me, I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we have to show up first with a gift in our hands, you know? So how are we showing up energetically? How are we showing up? Are we showing up critical? Are we showing up enthusiastic? Are we mm-hmm. showing up, you know, what I call in my book as a yeah friend, an FYF, <laughs> you know, <laughs> very technical term. Or, 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 or you know, are, am I showing up as a shoulder shrugger and being like too cool for school? You know, and I think it, it's up to us, right? Like, People want to hang out with other people who are enthusiastic and not just, I don't, I don't mean extroverted because like, you know, again, we, and I talk about labels in my book too, that we need to break all the labels of stop calling ourselves introverted, extroverted, or mm-hmm. all these names, because some days I'm very introverted. I, you know, I don't right. want to talk to any, I get filled up reading a book and, and curling up with one friend and I get energized by that. And there's other days where I feel like, like I want to go out and dance and I want to go and be social and, you know, it all, but when we start compartmentalizing ourselves, that's when we're on a road to anxiety and depression. That's mm-hmm. when we're on a road to isolation and loneliness. When we start calling ourselves one name and just subscribing to that one label, because we are all these things, right? We are all these things, not just one. I, I so agree with that. And I am definitely a huge fan in like, I love Myers-Briggs. I love strength finders. I love Enneagram. I love all the things, but something that I don't like about it is what you're touching on is I am not my Myers-Briggs. I am not my Enneagram number. I am not my strength. Like I think we can, those, those can be really beautiful frameworks and a vocabulary to communicate with others and ourselves with our like, the context and frame of reference. But like, That's I am not my Enneagram. It's not an excuse. Like I, on the Enneagram, the number that I connect with is number three, which is a performer. And like, I think we can kind of use those things as a crutch. Well, I'm just introverted or, well, I'm just exactly. a three. So I don't know what I want because that's just my wiring. And 
those things can be really beautiful, but I don't ever want to let that be a crutch for my life or an excuse not to grow or lean in. Exactly it. Yes. Like I think it's so easy to hide behind labels and Mm -hmm. it takes courage. It really takes so much courage Um, and, and a sense of, you know, what's, what's the worst that can happen that someone says that they don't like it. The whole point of labeling is to actually relate better to others. Mm. That is the whole point of labeling. I am an introvert and therefore I am, I better relate to others one-on-one. Like, but you see, like it's, I'm an extrovert. I better relate to others in a social setting. I am Mm. socially anxious. So I, it's difficult for me to relate to others because I get tongue to, you know, so all of a sudden notice that all of our labels are relating to others, right? Are mm. others, how we interact with others. And so when right. we realize that, then we'll just start saying, oh wait, okay, like every day I get to I get to relate in a different new way. Like today mm. I'm gonna be quiet and 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 sort of, you know, kind of moving towards the introverted side. And I call it metavert in my, we are all metaverts. I call it in mm. talk. Like we live at the spectrum of introverted and extroverted. And some days if I'm hungry, tired, it's like right now I haven't slept in, in months because the baby oh. up at night, you know, I literally am insomniac. And so I, I want quiet dinners. I don't want to be in loud spaces. I, I really like the idea of having just a few friends over to, to connect and, and, and relax together. Um, whereas, you know, on daybreaker mornings, even when I'm as pregnant woman, you know, I love the idea of just like jumping up out of bed and dancing my, my little tush off, you know, morning before going to work. And, and so, you know, it always, it depends on where I'm at and and I'm not going to pigeonhole myself in one place. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I found. I I listened to other friends being like, that's stupid. I'm like, I'm not, that's not my thing. Mm -hmm. Why not? Like, I mean, like, why do we, why can't, why is an energetic state not your thing? (laughs) You know? Yeah. And I, I wonder if it makes that question of who am I so much harder to answer because I'm, I am putting who I am on others, like the external experience. Well, like I am introverted or I am extroverted. And I, I think what is underneath that is, well, this is what I should be. Right. And I think should is like the most unhelpful word in the English language, or this is what you expect me to be. This is what I feel obligated to be. This is what my family wants me to be. This is what the church or religious institutions expect me to be. And like all of the external expectation obligation, the shoulds like that is actually like shuts my heart down to who I actually really am and what I actually want. That's right. And I feel like until I give myself that permission to be like, all right, well, you know what? Today I do feel like dancing at 6am at a daybreaker next month. I might not. And okay, like great. That's exactly awesome. <laughs> that's exactly right. And 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 that's and that's the whole point. Like, you know, we I started Daybreaker because I wanted to give people a space to be fully accepted for who they are. Mm-hmm. And some days they want to dance alone and just like shake it all out and get rid of all the angst. Some days mm-hmm. they want to hold someone's hand and dance together and be social. But Daybreaker is a, a space for you to just fully let go and, and, and show up exactly how you are and be as inclusive as, as you want to be or, or, you know, alone together as you want to be. Um, and, and that's what's been so fascinating and beautiful about this community across the world is because as I'm, you know, receiving so much, so much feedback from our community members, like, there are very few spaces that allow people to be exactly who they are. There's so much sort of you need to look like this or be like that at a nightclub. You need to look like this and be like this at your office. You need to look like this and be like this at your parents' house, right? Like there's so much obligation that we feel as human beings that there are very few. So I'm very interested in, in creating spaces for people that give them that sense of, I can be exactly who I am here, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear you unpack what is actually the Daybreaker experience. I've been to a couple in New York and they're really special. Um, but for like listeners who are like, what is this Daybreaker thing you keep talking about? 
Yeah. Okay. So Daybreaker is an early morning dance experience. Imagine, you know, typical night in New York, you're going out, you're dealing with mean bouncers, you know, looking up and down, you're dealing with people on their cell phones, spilt drinks, drugs, alcohol, um, a DJ pushing buttons all night. Like that was sort of my experience of going out. And the idea was, what if we did this experiment? What if this wild, crazy idea of of turning all of it on its head. Like what if we replace the mean bouncer with a hugging committee? (laughs) What if we replace the alcohol and drugs with green juice and healthy breakfast treats? And what if we, you know, added to the DJ experience and added live horn sections and performative elements like break dancers and dueling violinists and, and fire spinners and aerialists and really sort of brought out performances of, of, of our city dwellers who have so much talent to share at a time that people are usually sleeping or are at the gym by themselves with their earbuds in their ear, right? Like mm. the morning is when we are the most optimistic and joyful. So Daybreaker, it was really an experiment. And, and the idea was, okay, let's create a three-hour experience from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. before you went to work. And um, on a weekday morning, on a Wednesday morning, most of the times across the country, now across the world, we gather. And let's design an experience that really gives people this sort of what I call a release of your dose, your four happy brain chemicals, not just one mm-hmm. or two, but your dopamine, your oxytocin, your serotonin and endorphins all naturally. Like how can we create a gathering space for people to really feel connected to themselves and to one another? So we've, 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 we've just thought, thought through the entire experience from start to finish. And yeah, so, so it's what the first hour is yoga. The second two hours, is the dance party and um, the whole thing is immersive. It's all you can eat, all you can drink. So like, you know, you're never standing and waiting in lines to buy drinks or whatever. You just, as soon as you walk in, you pay for your $20 or $25 ticket. You, everything is, a, is sort of, you're in my living room now. Like you can yeah. open the fridge and take whatever you want and <laughs> come and dance and be fully seen in yourself. And, and I think that's why we've grown so fast across the world. We're in 25 cities now with a community of almost half a million people um, in four continents because we're creating spaces for people. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we need that so badly right now. We need a place to self-express and be together um, mm-hmm. and a place that we don't feel unsafe to, but a place that still inspires mystery and mischief, you know? So, so that's really what we do. Like you never know when, where neighbors going to be. So in New York, we do them every two weeks, but you never know where the next venue is going to be. It's always a secret. So you have to sign up for our email list and, and there you'll start getting our secret invitations. Like we don't do any marketing or advertising. Um, it's just sort of word of mouth. And um, yeah, so we change venues. So we, we might be in a boat, you know, on, on one day, or we might be on a rooftop or in a park or in a museum or in a synagogue or what, whatever it may be. We're, um, we're always looking for unique spaces um, to dance and, um, and to be free. Um, so, so yeah, it's been wild. I, I love it. I've been to two different daybreakers and I was skeptical because I was like, all right. I mean, New Yorkers, I always say like people say New York is a city that never sleeps, but I'm like between the hours of six and 9am is when New York sleeps. And I was like, I don't know if people are actually going to be here. I honestly was like, there's going to be no way there's not going to be some sort of like alcohol or drugs involved just because I was like, it's New York. People like to work hard and play hard. And it was such an amazing experience. And I think something that stands out to me about the experience and about what you're creating, Rada, with whether it's through Daybreaker, Live It Up, Belong, is people are coming together who maybe may not necessarily see the other person on a sidewalk and be like, oh, we would be friends. And yet they're getting into this common space and connecting. And I think music and dance is one of the things that kind of like shatters the ceiling of people that are different. Like you go to a concert and you have all these people that are different, probably have different political beliefs, religious beliefs, yet you're united. And I just think, especially where we're at in our culture, we need more of, Hey, like it's, we might be different. We might think differently. We might vote differently, but let's come together and share a common experience. Like, I think that's so healing. And in, in a culture where like, we're kind of marked by our differences right now, like how countercultural to live a message where it's like, no, you actually belong here. Like, I, I kind of say it like this, like you have a seat at the table. 
Um, it doesn't matter like where you came from, where you're headed, what you believe or don't believe, like you can, you have, you have a seat at the table here. That's the thing, like, you know, in this country, particularly, you know, we celebrate rugged individualism and going against Mm -hmm. the grain and disruption and, and, you know, beating to the the beat of your own drum, which is beautiful to a point. But I think Mm -hmm. what's happening is we're taking it too far into Instagram is now just about, look at me, look at me. And I call it the lame in my book, the look at me economy. People mm. are now brands and, and companies are now rewarding this type of look at me behavior by calling them influencers and paying them to, to market their things. And mm. what it's doing is perpetuating a young group of, of young people looking at, at their role models on, on the internet and saying, oh, so the more makeup and the more you know, sort of um, look at me, I am. And the more photos of myself that I'm posting, the more popular I'll get, the more money I'll make, the more. Mm. So young, what what people, what brands and industries aren't realizing what they're perpetuating is, this, is again, this sort of entire universe of young people online who now have access to these these cell phones in their pockets every day, who get to compare themselves, who get to... Um, sort of feel insecure about who, how they look, and and how they're coming, how they're coming across. And instead of focusing on personal relationships, they're focusing on themselves. And it's just, right. we are just headed for a very dark place, unless you know the quote unquote influencers, brands, advertisers, marketers really begin considering how are we gathering people together, how are we mm-hmm. experiences for others to connect in a meaningful way. Otherwise we're headed for, for, um, for, a, you know, doom and destruction. <laughs> right. Or if, if is there another way or a, a different angle we can enter into social media? Is there a different way that we can like use the platform for good as opposed to what you're saying? I mean, I was, I think it was Cigna that put out this report earlier this year that said 75 million millennials and Generation Zs are are more lonely than any other U.S. demographic and report worse health than older generations. We're the most connected, disconnected generation. And we're like, even how you talk about it in your book, we're getting physically sick from being lonely, from not belonging. Yet we're all like, we're addicted to our phones. Like we're addicted to the dopamine hit we get from the likes. And I I agree. I feel like there has to be like a countercultural way to like, to combat that. And I think you are doing that. Like you are offering those spaces. Thank you. And I wrote the um, book for that reason. I just, you know, yeah. I think so many books around community building and belonging um, and, and, you know, making friends is so theoretical. Like they, so many mm-hmm. talk about why it's important, right? Like mm-hmm. why is vulnerability? Why is belonging? Why is community so important? But nobody really tells you how, how do I belong? And how do I make friends? how do I do this thing? You know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what I'm interested in is how do we gather? How do we create and design experiences? How do we belong? How do we make friends? How do we, like, what is this step-by-step guide on how to do this? And, and my book does just that for whether you're a high school kid going to college or whether you're a you know, 40 year old starting all over again, what, you know, just, just, it's for every inflection point in your life. And I channeled, as I wrote the book, you know, 13 different archetypes um, from that teenage angsty kid to the CEO, Mm -hmm. to the 30 year old me, to the, to the uh, retiree, just getting out of, you know, sort of 35 years of giving their lives to work and now having to start all over a retirement community in Florida, right. Mm -hmm. You know, the divorce, there's so many different types of archetypes that, that would want to read this book. Um, new moms or empty nesters, you know, young people moving to new cities, the moment where you wake up and you realize my friends don't get me anymore. And I just really, Mm -hmm. I've been blind, you know, blind, you know, kind of sleepwalking for the last five years and I need to make a change. And so, so I, I just, I just wanted this book, which is why I illustrated it too, because first of all, I I have a hard time reading black and white words on a page. (laughs) Why did they, at what point did we like, decide to remove pictures for adults like mm-hmm. we're all just a bunch of kids trying to pretend to know what we're doing and so let's so i wanted the book to be an experience as well and on the book cover there's a cut out doorway on the cover 
of my book and it's a doorway. It symbolizes both an invitation to a more colorful life. It's also a symbol to me of like neighborhood, neighborliness, like that we used to know our neighbors and we don't know them anymore. And to belong is to belong in your community and know the person whose apartment is to your left and to your right. And to leave the messages and say, hey, I'm Rada. I moved to you know this apartment building. I'd love to invite you for, for tea to get to know you better. I'm ho- I'm doing a little block party on my on my on my apartment floor to get to know each other. Like, why don't we do that? You know, why are we afraid of our neighbors in big cities? Because we don't want them to complain on us. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And we're all living on top of each other. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah. you know, can we make the first effort? Can we? Mm-hmm can we do this again? And, and, and if we do, gosh, we're headed for the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. And if, and, but if we don't, if we continue going towards VR and AI and more, you know, sort of inside living inside of, of these, of these masks and, and haptic gaming vests, we're, Mm. we're really going in the wrong direction. And, and Mm. what's fascinating is that even if studies and research, research has abundantly shown that, we are lonelier than we've ever been with all technology. We are still sprinting. We still have millions of people working on how to inspire more technology and bring more of this VR world into our lives. And mm-hmm. and that's the stuff that scares me. I, I don't understand if we can see data clearly showing that we are miserable and unhappy and lonely. Why are we continuing to... And this, I went to to MIT yesterday for their Media Lab sort of event, which I thought was very fascinating. They were doing a hackathon around you know, different technologies and, and VR and AI and, and human connection. And I just went up to different hackers and I asked them, why are you doing this? Like, what is, mm. you know, why are you creating AI machine and bots and, and doing these VR headset things? Like, and they'd say, well, because I'm curious. I want to know the, the, the human potential of what we can do and see. And of course, curiosity is why we continue flying to the moon and you know, doing all the things. But, but ultimately, if it doesn't bring us closer together, why are we doing it? Right. right? So I kept drilling down. I said, well, well why? Okay, so why, why is, what, what curiosity is satiated? Why does it make you feel better? Does it make you feel closer to other people? Does it wait? And they're like, well, I don't, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. And so what I've realized is that we're running in the direction of technology without any thought or intention around. Mm. And that's what's scary. You know? Yeah. Well, even what you're saying is knowledge, like you're saying, we have the data, we have the statistics, we have the studies, but knowledge alone doesn't transform us. Knowledge alone doesn't transform me. I mean, I can know oh, here's exactly what I need to do to lose 15 pounds in the gym. Right. It doesn't make me lose the 10 pounds. I need to have an experience. Like we right. need to have experiences. And I think that's like, like what like you're talking about through this book. We all know why we need community. How? Like how do we experience? Like how do we do this? And I think like that's what you're doing through your life by whether it's through the WhatsApp question of, Hey, I'm pregnant. I'm struggling. I'm tired. <laughs> like anyone else. Right. Um, and it's, it's not the statistic that is connecting with other people. It's the human voice That's and right. it's the human experience. And um, I think it's, it's, yeah. it's why it's resonating. Like people are, it's like, I think we're all actually longing for connection. We just need the permission to go there. And I feel like, in essence, you're kind of saying the permission is there. Like, let's go. Exactly. Exactly. It's just, yeah. we have all the tools and I, and I've also, and in case we kind of don't know where to start, that's why I wrote the book. You know, it's like, here mm-hmm. are very tangible and easy yeah. ways to get started on your community building, making friends journey. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, it's something that we all need so desperately. And I'm, I'm yes. really passionate. I'm on a 20 city book tour right now. I'm heading to Chicago tomorrow. Uh, and, um, on it's, it's my ninth stop on the tour and I'm just like, you know, traveling with the baby in my belly, you know, and, and it's, it's just been, it's just been really fascinating to learn why people don't belong as well Mm -hmm. in different cities. Like for example, Denver, Colorado has a hundred people moving there every single day. Right. And so because of so many, there's such an influx of new population, right. The city hasn't actually come back with an answer to say, Hey, city of Denver, we know that you're new here, human, you know, welcome to our city. 
here are different workshops on community building or making friends mm. that we've set up for you. And that's the kind of thing I want to do. So I've, I'm launching this community architecture consultancy where I want to support cities in helping sort of new community members come in and feel a sense of I'm home, right? Like that's one mm. use case. Another is I went to Phoenix, Arizona a few weeks ago and found out that it's the second loneliest city in the country. Um, and and the reason is that they, they're snowbird cities. So people come in and out every six months. If mm. so the, the city is very spread out, it's hard to have neighbors that way. And that they're transient. People come in and live there for a couple of years and then they leave. And so it's no wonder that there's such isolation there. People aren't committing to that city. And again, there's 85 million people right now who are freelancing and and, and more millennials are freelancing every day and thinking that that's, that's life. That's like the best way to live is like, I don't have to go anywhere. I get to work in my underwear. <laughs> I get to be in Bali. I get to write my, but ultimately at the end of that adventure, they ask themselves, well, well shoot, I, I feel lonely. I'm, I'm actually, I realize I'm just working by myself on a laptop all around the place. Mm. And yes, I'm having adventures, but Am I deepening a relationship with a team? Am I actually going, go, you know, going deep somewhere? And and I think that that whiplash is coming back. And and there's of course beauty and adventure. I love it too. I, don't get me wrong, um, but I do think that there is a pendulum swinging back towards no, give me a home and give me a place to go every day. I want to belong to a right. an organization where I can hang my hat every day, you know? Right. Like that stability and security yeah. that comes with that, that foundation. Right. Well, just kind of as we wrap up our conversation, I would love to hear from you. Just if you could tell yourself anything that when you were 30 and you had that awakening moment, what would you want to tell yourself now, like you speaking to your younger self. Totally. I would just say you have all of the power to decide what type of life you want to lead. You have all of the opportunity at your fingertips to be able to do that. And so settling for sort of a group of friends that don't align with your values, your interests, and what you want out of this life, who don't support you and give you wings with whom you feel competition with, you know, you don't need to stay in that. You can, it's, it's terrifying to leave your group that you know very well, but if you just had a little courage and realize that you are the captain of your, of your fate, right. Um, that you get to, get out there and create the community of your dreams that will then inspire you to create the, the, the creative projects that will also inspire you and, 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 and give you that passionate sort of spring in your step every day that will then support you by showing up for you at your art show opening, whatever, you know, it's, that's what you can have at any moment in your life. You don't have to be sleepwalking in your relationships and your friendships. You can, have it all if you start prioritizing your friendships. If you make your relationships and friendships your number one priority and nurture them, bring them presents, invite them over for dinner, have the courage to reach out to them, your entire life will be healthier and wealthier. That's good. That's good stuff. I just, it speaks so much to my soul and spirit. I feel like living in New York, it can, it can just, for me, feel so lonely. You're in the city of 8 million people and you're like, I just feel so alone and looking outward. And I, I even just love what you said, like community is like being a part of community is the most generous thing that you can be a part of. I love that you're modeling it. You're inspiring me to be more bold and take off the, the Superman cape. And I'm just grateful for your heart and I'm grateful for what you're doing and your words matter. Like you're bringing light and even just you, ex- you sharing your life experience is it's impacting so many people. So thank you for being you, like giving yourself the permission to be you, Rada. I'm just, I'm really grateful. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Kat. Yeah. And I can't wait to see that beautiful baby of yours. I know. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Do you just love Rada? 
I mean, I seriously could talk with her all day. It was hard to end the conversation. I just adore her heart. So if you want to read her book, go get it right now. Go to belongbook.com. It's beautifully designed. But even more than that, the words, the heart, the message is so important. And she's right. It's so practical. It's teaching you how to build a community. You can also find Rada on Instagram.com slash love dot Rada. That's R-A-D-H-A. And she also has a website, Rada Agrawal. That's R-A-D-H-A-A-G-R-A-W-A-L.com. Follow her, send her some love, tell her how much you love her heart and being a part of this community.